Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Hi everyone and welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. Today, Sally and I wanted to join together to discuss Sally's journey surrounding grief, mental health and the ongoing impacts through generations. On the 2nd of April 1985, Sally and Martin lost their daughter Alicia, brother to Tim, Jason and an unborn me to SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Sally, I know this is a hard story to tell, but take us back to the start, the 30th of November 1984. On the 30th of November 1984, I gave birth to a beautiful little girl named Alicia Kate. It was a very special day because Alicia was first daughter after two beautiful boys. In the same breath, it was a particularly hard day because while I was staying in the hospital, I got a tray of boiling water with two jugs knocked over my legs. Subsequently, I suffered third-degree burns and had to be taken to intensive care hospital in Hobart, the burns unit. So my bonding period was very difficult. Um, Alicia was taken with me so that I could breastfeed her, but unbeknownst to me, she was put in the hospital with sick babies and she developed whooping cough. I went on to have um, significant surgery, skin grafts, to get my legs better. Uh, And at that stage, I could no longer feed Alicia because with burns, your body fluids just... They just run away. Then I got out of hospital and following that I got the staff in the donor site where they took the skin from and so had another two weeks in hospital. So the start of her journey was very, very stressful for her and for me. So how long were you in hospital with Alicia as such a young baby? I was in hospital for six weeks and she was with me for the first ten days until like no one was coping so my dad and his wife took her for another period of time and looked after her yeah yeah okay so that must have been hard in itself being separated from your brand new baby girl it was quite horrific aim and I don't know how I got through it looking back I just don't know how I got through that period of time and most of all it was difficult for her too because Of course she wanted to bond with her mum and her brothers and that just wasn't possible. So she was, you know, quite unsettled as a result of that. When I got her home, um, I could begin to spend some special time with her, but I felt totally robbed of those first precious weeks, yes. Yeah, those weeks you couldn't get back. No, never. So when you got her home uh, with the family, you and Martin and... Jason and Tim, what was she like as a baby? Oh, she was just beautiful, a real smiler. Of course, then there was another hiccup in there where Martin was with Westpac at the time and they moved us to um, Hewenville, a country town in Hobart. Looking back, I would just absolutely put my foot down and say, no, I'm not moving her because it was all just too much for her and for the whole family. So... There wasn't just that. I'd I'd moved away from my family and my friends and support group and 
still suffering from, you know, not being able to walk great distances with the Burns and Jason in a new school. It was really a, a really difficult time. But she was beautiful baby. She was a peaceful baby after she settled and she smiled and she, she was just gorgeous, yes. She have a lot of time for her brothers? <laughs> they had a lot of time for her because she was bottle-fed. It was a fight to which boy was going to um, feed her, Jason or Tim. So, yes, she was very much loved. And uh, so let's move forward now and, and talk about – so Alicia was with you for not a great deal no, of time? No, no. Sadly, on the 2nd of April – uh, 1985, we got up to find her passed away. It was the most horrific experience I have ever lived. It was her first night in her cot and she had her um, whooping cough vaccination on the Friday and passed away on the Monday night. And it's just something no parent should ever have to endure. The guilt that you go through thinking... Did I wrap her up too tight? Did I not hear her when I cried? Did I not, was she cold? This, that, it was just so much guilt surrounding that time. And I remember screaming and my two boys started crying hysterically. Don't cry, mummy, don't cry, mummy. And I remember telling myself, stop now, you've got to stop crying because you can't upset them as well. So I think I just basically went into shock um, yeah. and that shock lasted a long time. Yeah. And the whole family was home at the time? It was yeah, the early Martin morning. hadn't gone to work. The whole family was home and it was just like you're living this bad nightmare and you kept thinking, I'm going to wake up from this. It can't be real. I'm going to wake up. And in those days, things weren't like they are now. I remember the ambulance just taking her and not letting me hold her. And then the police were on the door asking questions. It's just an awful nightmare. I can speak about it now, but it's been 33 years and I can really only just talk to you about it now. So it's with you forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know... Um it distressed you quite a lot. The police asked a lot of questions. Uh, it's almost like there was a they were putting blame. Yeah, um, they of were they were doing their job, obviously, but there was no understanding about how to support a grieving parent when she put her baby down to bed. No, and no, and that I know they've got a job to do. However, uh, I don't think they'd had a lot of training, and of course, they they're not prepared to go to the death of a baby nobody is ever prepared for that and nobody can understand it unless they've been through it so but what I found incredibly difficult was there was no support no support at all so we moved back to our own home uh, and to be around family and friends but I would go to the doctor and I would just want to talk to her and they would say, well, you need some Valium. We'll have another baby, Sally. Well, we'll give you these drugs. No one, there was no counselling whatsoever and I desperately needed counselling. If it wasn't for a good friend, Sally Payne, uh, who had a cot death before 
me, knocked on my door one day and just listened to me. I'm not sure that I would have got through because the the pain and, and narrative is needed. You need to keep that memory alive of that little girl and nobody wanted to talk to you. You'd see people in the supermarket and they'd dodge you because no one knows what to say and there was no education, no education on grief and and how to support the person. Friends didn't know what to say. They were hurt for me, but they didn't have the answers, and there were no answers, but there was no counselling, and that really was exactly what I needed. Yeah, I think it's completely different. Uh, Well, it's getting better in this day and age, and we're more open to talk about things. Uh, I mean, you can completely understand your friends not knowing what to say, Because, like you said, there is nothing to say but just some comfort, a hug, a cup of coffee, Mm. just just the company. Yeah, you're right. Just someone to be there to to walk you through it. And and I think, you know, doctors hadn't been trained in any sort of grief and loss counselling and the services weren't available. But because of that, I suffered anxiety um, in a really bad way. I would get panic attacks. I wouldn't be able to go to the supermarket uh, and I would get these extreme panic attacks and wake up in the middle of the night and think, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And so it's like being in a dark tunnel and thinking you're never going to come out the other end and it goes on for a long, long time. And it still probably goes on to a degree, to a lesser level, but it's always with you. Well, you know yourself, Amy, um, as the mum of my grandchildren, I couldn't mind your children for six months because I couldn't bear to put them down to sleep in case that happened on my watch. And and I know it impacted on you uh, and, and your children because you know that it really does happen. And until it really does happen in a family it's kind of that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think it's like anything. Until your family has um, suffered a loss like that, it's hard to explain it to other people to actually get that understanding. They feel they feel empathy for you. They're heartbroken for you. But until you're in that actual position, you can't explain that absolutely soul-destroying heart break. No, you can't. That doesn't go away for a very long time. That's right. And any form of grief is dreadful. But I think losing a baby, it's not something a parent expects. They expect to die before their child. And so it's just an extreme form of grief. And, And it does take a lot of getting over. Mental health services were non-existent in my day and I guess that's one of the reasons we're here now, Amy. Absolutely. I I was going to get on to that. But first, um, Sally Payne, who you mentioned, came to you to support you. Uh, I know the two of you did a lot of work with SIDS and Kids in Tasmania to kind of create that awareness and, and you held events and things like that to be a support for other people so that other people hopefully didn't have to go through what you went through, but also supporting people who had gone through 
what you both went through. Yeah, there, there was not a lot going on in Hobart. So Sally and I started morning teas, um, cabarets they were called in those days with dancing and music, uh, raffles, did a lot of fundraising and we raised enough money for 10 parents to have monitors. And so... Which in those days was a lot of money because they weren't like they are now so no, readily available. No, it was a lot of money. I think they were about $800 each. But also in those days, the paediatricians didn't want you using them. So when I was in... Why was that? Uh, I think, I don't know, it was just a very old-fashioned idea that they think thought that it made you uh, more nervous, but remembering when I had you and I could open my eyes at any given time of the night and see the red light going, that actually saved me because I doubt that I would have got through that and still been sane if I didn't have that. But there were so many things that that are now a given to parents to have peace of mind. None of it was about. And I, I actually had a full-blown argument with one of the paediatricians in Hobart because he really didn't want me to have that monitor and I was having it come hell or high water. Okay, so tell me um, about the decision to have another baby after the loss of Alicia. Well, I guess my grief didn't stop there. Um, I, I knew that I wanted another baby and not a replacement baby, another baby, and I fell pregnant and then I had a miscarriage at about 16 weeks. So it was like someone was going, you're not meant to have another child, and it was everything seemed to be stacked against me. And I remember looking at babies in the pram and thinking they just don't know how lucky they are to have that child. Why is this so hard? And then, of course... Along came you in May, a um, couple of years later, and you were a beautiful baby and you're still very beautiful. But being on high alert, well, I would probably call it neurotic at the time, watching over you all the time, but one day you had a temperature and were a bit fussy. Now, Normally a parent wouldn't front up at the paediatrician at five o'clock on a Friday evening and say, please see my daughter, she's got meningitis. Usually it'd be Panadol, we'll monitor her or him. And some reason I do not know to this day, nor does Liz Welsh, who was the paediatrician, how I knew you had meningitis. So I fronted up to her clinic and she said, look, she's sick, but I don't think she's got meningitis, but I'm really worried about you as well, Sally, so I'm going to put you in both in hospital overnight and monitor her. And she came in the next morning and did some tests, and she walked in and she was grey. You had meningitis. And I remember just looking up and going, what, why is this happening to me, God? You cannot take another baby for me from me or I won't be able to be there for my boys. I literally knew that I could not go on if anything happened to you. And because they caught it early, you you were in intensive care for 10 days, but you're here and you're fine. But I don't think a lot of parents would have taken such severe action as to 
to get to the paediatrician. So in effect, Alicia saved my next baby. Yeah, because you were so vigilant, yeah. as you called it. But, hey, it paid off. It saved my life and mm. you avoided losing another baby, yep. which would have been just... I could not have done it, Ames. I could. I just couldn't have gone through it. I don't know how. There are parents that lost two and three, and I don't know how they're still standing. Yeah. And my heart goes out to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so take us through. I guess you're. You've spoken about your anxiety, your journey with the children growing up. Uh, your mental health. Were you in a good place? No. No, I was not in a good place. I, when you were oh, about nine months old, I went back to work of a weekend, um, so that Martin could be with with you guys, purely for my sanity, not for the money. Purely because I was not in a good space, I had to do something else to try and keep myself sane. But what I did during that time, I went and also did a grief and loss course and became quite fascinated in the process of if only people had help. If only people had the understanding, if there was more support services available. Absolutely. In the the early initial stages in particular, which are so crucial. Absolutely. There should have been straight up counselling straight up and it should be a process and somebody should be watching over those people carefully because you know I'd never been in a place like that but ultimately that little girl changed the course of my life and whilst I deeply miss her she really did contribute to the person I became I I suddenly became more compassionate and caring and developed high empathy and could pick up on people if they were sad just by looking at them. So I went back to university to study counselling, Tasmanian University, did post-grad studies in counselling. And here we are today, Amy, Mm -hmm. that this you know, career development centre, my previous business was all about supporting people and helping people like through dark times, but not only through dark times, to also thrive in their life. Because when you get out of that dark place and you can talk about it, you can be there for so many other people. So studying... um gave me the tools that I required to be able to help other people. So this business is about helping people understand mental health and the impact it can have on so many people. And as we know, the stats for mental health are very, very high. So the more education we can give people, you know, right down to our professionals, you know, to our tell our professional practitioners as well because unless they understand it, deeply understand it, they don't really know what to say or how to help. And so it's it's because of Alicia. She's left she's left something for this world in that 
we will keep on fighting to make sure people don't go through what I went through. Yeah. So that's with the uh, with the mental health side of things, ensuring people get help, the help that they need and the support that they need. It's with the SIDS research side of things. So we're extremely supportive of River's gift. Uh, they lost River yeah. seven years ago. Yes. Uh, similar situation to what you've been through and they've started an organisation. An amazing organisation, Which Amy. is based on research. They want answers for themselves. They want answers for other parents so that this stops and people aren't losing their babies. And they've done absolutely outstanding work and are continuing to do so daily. And that's whilst they've lost their little river, they're making a difference to others so that others don't have to go through Mm. that same grief, that same hurt. Yeah, Carl and Alexandra, they've done an amazing job. Carl's given up his job now and manages River's Gift full-time and they've done an amazing job. But what I love about River's Gift is the money only goes to research. It doesn't go to fancy offices and big paychecks and big flash cars. It goes straight to research. And without research, other parents will have to suffer what I had to suffer and, and in effect that you had to suffer as well. So what they're doing is amazing. What we're doing in supporting people, you know, who are struggling with mental health, what they're doing with research, River's made a difference. You know, every day he's he's left his mark in this world and so is Alicia. So it's important to keep on advocating and to keep on fighting so that they are Life wasn't a waste. Their life wasn't a waste. We know that. We know from what you've done and from what Alex and Carl have done that they're they're continuing to make a difference. They're they're still here, effectively. They are around yeah. us. Um, how was it? How long, I guess, did it take for you to feel some sense of normality? Like I know it would have taken a toll on your family life, your marriage, your relationship with your, with all of us, all three of us, how long did it take for that to feel some sense of normality? That's a good question. I think the first of everything, the first birthday, the first Christmas, the first anniversary, you think, they would have been walking, they would have been talking. I think I think really until I knew you were safe, I couldn't breathe. So really until you were about 18 months, I was literally nervous and living high adrenaline rushes like my nerves were just completely scattered. And I think when... I knew that you weren't going to die of SIDS. I, I, I probably took my first deep breath. Uh, and that was a gradual process because, you know, we still hear of it happening to two-year-olds. So it was kind of a, a gradual process. Mind you, you slept in our room for a long, long time. You were in our room for ages. Uh, but I think you don't wake up one day and say I'm normal. You just go oh, okay, I feel a little bit better today and 
a little bit better and a little bit better. But I would say really and truly, you're never the same person. You're never, ever the same person. And thankfully, I didn't become bitter. I became determined, determined that she was going to be remembered by by me doing some good work because she came to me for a reason. She chose me as a mum for a reason. I don't know that reason, but I know that I will continue to advocate for people not feeling so pained in anything I can do to help anyone not suffer like that. And what about um, the boys and Martin and everyone handles grief differently. Was there different ways? Were the boys grieving and you were trying to console them? Was Martin grieving in a different way to you? Yeah, totally. It had a severe impact on our relationship and a lot of couples in, in the support group that we started split up. Which you can understand. You totally it, can. Yeah. yeah, you can because you're both hurting and you don't you can't support each other because you're both hurting so badly. Martin expressed his probably by becoming a workaholic um, and he was angry, angry with the whole system, whereas I was just hurt. Mm. Uh, Jason really struggled because he had to change schools again because we got moved back and forth. He was a bit more of a victim of bullying at school because he was quiet and reserved. Tim, at the age of two, didn't quite understand it. I mean, he always knows she was there, but he he couldn't quite understand it. So um, it didn't impact him as severely. It didn't impact the way I loved you guys, but it just made me mollycoddle you, I guess, like all of you, like want to keep you close, not want you to do things in case you might get hurt. So that impact lasted for a long, long time. And in fact, until you were adults, and now I still worry about you all because, you know, having something like that happen, it just makes you realise how precious your kids are. Yeah. Um, Look, I know growing up, Alicia's death had a real impact on me as a child, even though I didn't get the chance to meet her. Uh, I remember in the front of her baby album, I would have been six or seven, I guess, and it said, this is my sister Alicia. She died so that I could live. You did too. So in my head, I felt, and, and that's so weird for a child to feel that, but it just shows that, the impact it had on you. The impact it it, it carries through. And, um, and being a girl, um, you know, I, I guess it really resonated with you from a very early age. And, and we would celebrate her birthday. We would go to the cemetery and visit her with a big bunch of flowers, which I can no longer do. I, I can't do that. So I buy a big bunch of flowers and put them out for her every uh, birthday and every anniversary of her death because I 
I just can't still go to that cemetery. Because Whereas for me, his spirit's not there for me. Whereas for me, that's probably the closest I'm ever going to get to Alicia, yes, my sister. So whenever I'm in Tasmania, I always make time to go there, put some flowers there, spend some time there. And even more recently on our last trip, I took Ava there, so my five-year-old, and she has that understanding. I've got a picture of Alicia on my bedside table and she knows that's mummy's sister that passed away. So... It's um, it filters through the generations, the the way I probably was with my children as babies was as a result of the fact that Alicia had passed away. So yeah. more vigilant, more um, probably a bit neurotic. In particular, with my second child, funnily enough, because she was quite sick so she's had a lot of issues with bronchitis and things like that so I constantly felt like you know she something bad's going to happen so she was in our bedroom up until oh, over well over one and she's still in a cot <laughs> <laughs> I think though what you're doing with your girls is amazing in that you're it's not taboo to talk about your you openly share it with because Ava said to me before I went away just recently, that's mummy's sister. That was your baby. That's mummy's sister. So she's quite open as if she's good to talk about it. And that keeps her memory alive. That, for me, makes my heart sing because it's keeping Alicia's memory alive through generations. And that, to me, is one of the most important things. Yeah. I, Stuart and I are very open with the girls. Well, Isla, not so much because she's not quite there for the understanding yet, but about all things to do with grief, to do with mental health. Uh, Ava and I do the Walk for Awareness for the yeah. Mental Awareness Foundation every year, and that's to support all facets of mental yeah, health. Yeah, absolutely. And she understands that and she understands about having healthy minds. That's what she calls it and I think that's so good because the more we can get generations coming through that are there to support people through grief that are there to support people when they're in the middle of a mental health crisis that are there to talk to people and support them and be aware the world can only be a better place from our younger generations having that understanding yeah well you're normalizing mental health and it should be if you cut your leg they put a band-aid on straight away particularly your girls <laughs> but what you're doing is a really great thing in you're not it's not taboo and it shouldn't be taboo just because we can't see it it shouldn't be taboo if anyone knew what was going through my head during those years like I would have had 10 band-aids on and so what you're doing in your work and your advocacy for mental health is to be applauded because you're raising the issues, you're not pushing them under the carpet because, believe me, people said to me, my mum didn't know what to say to me and she said, you just have to get over this, Sally. Like, hello, that's because we weren't educated in how to deal with these sort of things and the more education the more awareness because there's more than just grief 
when it comes to mental health. It's a multitude of things and we know how many people suffer it. So it really is raising awareness that it can be different. You know, one word or are you okay costs nothing to and ask it makes... someone. Nobody ever asked me that because they were afraid of the answer. Because they didn't know what to do when the answer came back. When you say no, what do we do next? Mm -hmm. And that's why it, everyone needs to understand that you don't even necessarily have to do anything next. You're there to support. You're there to support people. And if you get the education around it, you'll know what to do next. So you'll know how to support them in, in that moment. You'll know how to support them to get the right help if they're not already getting help. And you can just make such a difference to someone's life. You, you can literally save their life. You can, for sure. And even if you, like you said, it's are you okay or can I get you a cup of tea? Even if you, they don't give you answers just to be there, to let people talk. Narrative, narrative therapy is one of the best there. Just let people tell their story. I wanted to tell people and show people. I had all of the children's photos done three days before she passed away, professional photos. I wanted, I got them back and she wasn't here. I wanted to show people those photos. I wanted to talk about her. I wanted to tell the world about her. But and people, people can't cope. And that's where the education needs to be is it costs nothing to check in on somebody. So how are you doing now? Oh, I'm a bit rattled, Amy, but... but it's a hard you know, story to tell. It is a hard story to tell, but, you know, it's keeping a memory alive and it's helping others that go through their battles. And to me and to you, that's very important. And we've got a big birthday celebration coming up. We have. Mm -hmm. and we've got the 30th of November this year. Yeah. Yeah. How many candles on the cake? 34. <laughs> yeah. Look, I know for me, uh, I actually feel like it gets a bit harder each year uh, with things like having daughters, having, you know, getting married, all those milestones that I've gone through. Would have been nice to have a sister. I have two lovely brothers. Um, but that's they're the moments when I really feel yeah. like I'm missing out. Yeah, and I know once you asked me the question, would I have had you if Felicia didn't pass away? And the answer is you were meant to be here, Amy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you were meant to be on this earth. So, you know, you know that I would have because you were meant to be here. Yeah. So, and what you're doing is great. So, yeah. You too. Thanks for sharing the story. Uh, I hope if anyone's listening and they've gone through grief, they've got friends who have gone through grief, um, help them, just support them in any way you can. Be Get educated about mental health. Be aware so that you can help people. And, yeah, I just hope that Sally's story has helped you, that there is a positive to come from this. The work that Sally's doing now and we're doing now is as a result of Alicia and good has come from it and she will live on for a very long time. She will. And if I could just ask any listeners if you could hop on to River's gift page and dig deep, $7 donation for River. 
for the seven seventh years. anniversary Facebook page is River's Gift. If you've got a spare $7, give it to some research. We'd be truly grateful. Thanks, Sally. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.